Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. (laughs) Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp and 100% accountability with me including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical, and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. Hello and welcome back. Today I have our recurring guest and one of my dear, dear, dear friends, Erin Monson with me. For those of you who have not listened to her previous episodes, this is the third episode that she is on and there will be more. But if you have not gone and listened to those, I highly encourage it. I believe they are episodes seven and eight. One is relationship with food and one is relationship with self. Today, we are going to talk about inner child work. That all being said, let me just tell you real quick that Erin is a relationship coach and just a life coach in general. She has certifications in the space of fitness and nutrition and all that good stuff. But her specialty today is really working on relationships with people and then also just their relationships with themselves. And she is also in school actively to become a therapist. So hello, Erin. Oh, can't get rid of me. (laughs) I would never. For backstory as well, for anyone who doesn't know our story, it is simply that we met. So we're recording this in October of 2022. We met for the first time in January of 2022. And I was like, that one's mine. And then proceeded to travel halfway across the United States multiple times to go visit her to cultivate that relationship because I immediately saw the value add that her presence in my life was going to have. And needless to say, I got that one right. (laughs) I've done a lot of stuff real wrong. I got that one right. And so now she is just being so gracious to share her insights and her experiences and education with us in this space. So anyway, that's you, Erin. Anything you want to add to that? We're 10 months into this relationship and it's going great. No issues. It's so going far. really well. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No, we 
I think we do a really good job of giving one another like space to live our lives. And then also just know that like, I know if I need you, you're there and, and things like getting to be present on your birthday and the tradition that her family has, by the way, on (laughs) birthdays of going around and each individual saying what they love about that person was such a cool experience for me. And then on my birthday, sure enough, she returned the favor. We were not together for that day, but she sent me a really long video doing exactly that. And like, it just God, it had to have been the best message. I, I got so many wonderful messages that day and it absolutely stood out because you just went deep on like the reasons that you care for me. And man, don't we all just want to be loved? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not hard to find things <laughs> with you. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So, okay, our topic today is inner child work, and I'm really excited. We we were talking about what do we want to talk about on this episode, and we had a handful of topics that just kind of came to mind very quickly, and this one stood out to both of us as like, that's the one we want to do today. And from my perspective, what my curiosity is, is because I'm going to be learning alongside you in the sense of the fact that there is so much about inner child work that I don't feel that I know. And so this is always super informative and educational. That's the intention. And now like I'm really getting to experience that with you, whoever is choosing to listen. So that all, let's just go straight in. And uh, Erin, what is inner child work? Oh, it's one of my favorite topics. Inner child work is basically a way of connecting to a younger version of yourself. It doesn't have to be as a child. It definitely can be, but any version of you that has existed before today. And it's basically connecting to her or him or they. And it is reparenting, showing up for them in ways that they needed in that moment. It's a way of healing and repairing moments that didn't quite go as you would have wanted them that are still affecting you present day. And it's really just learning how to show up for yourself today and meet your own needs. Okay. So what was your introduction to inner child work? Like, where did you learn this term and what this is? And give me a little more context for your experience with it. Where'd you learn about it? So the very first time I ever heard about it and used it was with my therapist back in probably 2018 and she introduced it to me and I spent a week carrying around a little picture of myself and just connecting to a younger version of me and she then guided me through in session a meditation that kind of took me back um, a visualization of a younger version of me that just naturally came up in my own mind And she guided me through it, and it took me back to elementary Erin. I was in sixth grade in my whole visualization, (laughs) and I connected to that version of myself and really learned a lot about myself in that moment and was guided to a different version of myself through it. But that was my first experience with it, and I've continued to use it very consistently since then. So with that experience, why did you choose sixth grade version of you? Like, why her? That naturally just came up. Like, it was kind of one of those things where just think of, think of younger you. And I immediately pictured myself in about sixth grade, short blonde hair, this little tomboy, 
loved sports, like hated pink. And I just naturally, that's where I went first. And it's been really interesting. The more, the more I've done around this topic, every time I do a meditation around it, or every time I intentionally connect to a younger version of my version of myself, it always takes me to a different age. So this was just my first experience with it. And that's what I thought of first. But throughout the meditation that my therapist was guiding me through, she took me along and was like, I'm good. I'm good here. Go to this age. And she sent me along my way to eighth grade, Erin. <laughs> and so in that meditation, it it showed me like, okay, I'm good. You've met my needs here. This is the Erin that needs you now. And it just kind of took me on my journey through all of that. So that was a very guided experience is what it sounds like to me. Like you worked with a therapist specifically to learn. Yeah. So when you were connecting with sixth grade Aaron, with eighth grade Aaron, what did that look like? What were you, I mean, if you're trying to see that her needs then are met, like what, what does that look like? So it is, the visualization is a little bit funky to kind of like, sometimes it's harder for people to visualize and to connect back. For me, it was very much in there, in my subconscious, like ready to go because I had somebody guiding me through it. So in that specific experience of visualizing, it was laying on a couch, eyes closed, being guided by somebody else. And that my own subconscious kind of led me through that. But there's so many different ways to do it. And even just... But the first thing I ever did was carried a picture around of me to like really connect to her and to start looking at her as a younger version. What did she need? Like what needs weren't being met? What needs were being met? Even just specific experiences of like being a pool party and jumping into the pool and landing on my friend's head and then getting yelled at by my friend and just feeling so humiliated and stupid because like how could I be so dumb to jump on my friend's head I'm so embarrassed and it's just the the moments it would take me to to remind me these times I learned that I needed to be a certain way otherwise I wouldn't be accepted like that's a lot of inner child work is is learning about the past experiences that you had in your life that have affected the way you see the world now and how you're showing up in relationships today that are being affected by those past experiences. Yeah, that's interesting just to think about. Like, if I, so then of course I'm thinking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, humans being humans. But so then I'm thinking about younger versions of me that experience things. And, and I think for some reason, what's coming up for me is the fact that for a lot of people, during their childhood at one time or another or many times over, they experienced traumatic events. So those look very different for each individual, but a lot of them have experienced things. And sometimes, like I can just see the, the guided piece of it being important for someone like me because I think that there are areas of my childhood and I have wonderful parents, so I don't, but I think that there are experiences I had in childhood or in adolescence that I've absolutely shut off. So is that a big part of the inner child work? Is that exploration and going back and working through, figuring out what those experiences even were that you chose to shut off? 
Yeah. So you bring up such an important point for a lot of people who carry really, really serious trauma. This is not something you want to just go do on your own. It's really smart and helpful to have a professional there with you because it makes so much sense that you have shut out those parts of you because you're trying to protect yourself from serious pain needs that were not being met that actually you needed to survive. And so, of course, that's your response is to shut that down because it's not safe to have that. So when you are doing deep traumatic inner child work, really, really important to have a professional with you. And you can do it on a lighter level too, like on your own, just writing a letter to a younger version of you that might need to hear from you, you know? So there's many different levels of doing this. Yeah, this does remind me of something that I cannot remember the specific reference, unfortunately, but where this some piece of content I consumed probably a year ago, it was just a video of of a therapist talking about sitting with that child and recognizing who they were and what they needed and all of that. This does also remind me, I've spoken with someone recently who is in a recovery program who is currently in their 12-step and in their 12-steps, a part of that is doing a personal inventory of things that you've done wrong, of things that the people have wronged you, things like that. And I was just speaking to them about that experience because when you're doing that inventory work at that time, it's tough. If you've never done it before, even if you've done it before and you're doing it again, when you're doing an inventory of your past and the stuff that's happened to you and the stuff that you've done to other people, like it ain't comfy. And I've done that work and I'll continue to do that work. But I remember my first inventory and what I was speaking to this person about was just how it felt like paralysis, like physical paralysis. When I was writing that out, those experiences, there were days there where I felt physically unable to move. And so I think like through this, just thinking about like this, having some professional involved to be able to help you navigate that work through. And there can be the simple moments of jumping in the pool and just being embarrassed. And then there's a scale of it, right? For all of us. But then in that conversation, I think the primary point I was making to that person was just simply that like, it's okay that they don't feel okay right now, you know, and like doing that super hard work of really doing that reflection. And I always like to say morbid reflection serves no one, but at the same time to understand how we got where we are, We do need to look back and then to figure out how we step forward. Anyway, that just was a conversation within the last 24 hours that feels very applicable here where where I just recognize that when you're going to go do this kind of deep, deep work, that there's this huge piece of it that is like give yourself the grace and understand that like you will have physical reactions to taking a look back, taking a real deep look back. Like there's going to be stuff that's going to come up and you're going to be like, why do I feel this way? And it's not going to make sense. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, of course, of course, we shut that stuff down because it's so painful to actually go back into it. And especially with trauma, like we don't want to relive it. We don't want to talk about it. We want to pretend like it didn't happen so that we can move forward and not let it affect us. And the truth is, is that we are shaped by each experience that we have throughout our life, whether we like it or not, which totally sucks if bad things have happened to you. And it's an empowering practice because it helps us 
have more compassion for why we picked up on certain behaviors, why we're stuck in certain patterns. It all goes back to us making so much sense and it helps us rewrite a story that we didn't have any say in the time that it happened. So yeah, it can be very debilitating. It can bring up a whole lot of stuff. And especially with clients I work with, I always warn them, like as we open these doors, it probably will feel harder before it feels better. And the motivation and the reason we do it is because it puts us back in the driver's seat of our life. It helps us have more compassion for ourselves and for others. It helps us understand ourselves and others. It helps us heal and helps us truly be able to connect to levels of peace and joy that we couldn't ever possibly reach if we don't do that work. So that's why we do it anyways when it's really, really hard. That was absolutely going to be my next question was if we're talking about all this stuff that's not comfy and painful, why the hell are we doing it? Why would we put ourselves in these positions of such discomfort? Why would we look back at stuff we don't want to look at that we literally shut out for safety purposes without even knowing we did it? Why on earth do we need to go back there? Yeah. Yeah. And to put ourselves back in the driver's seat. It, that's exactly what it is. It's becoming more responsive to the things that happen to us in our life currently rather than reacting from a place of pain from before. And it helps us change now. We can't change the actual past. There are things that happen to us that completely affect the way we see the world, the way we relate to people, the opinions we have, the people we choose to be around, the people who we choose to not be around. Like it affects everything in our life and to have that all be by chance and just without knowing and no awareness around it yeah that's us in the back seat we have no power or choice really and so the opposite of trauma is choice and so we work through it so that we can be in the driver's seat of our life i love the analogy of the back seat to the front seat because that to me i'm looking at a child sitting in a back seat who literally does not have a choice. They are a child. They do not get to drive. And that's such a great analogy representation of that because when we are children, we're along for the ride. And the experiences that we have are not yet ones that we are creating. And then as we become adults, we start to get to have more say-so. We get that driver's permit and then we get our driver's license. And then... Mm -hmm. (laughs) all hell breaks loose and then then, seriously we get speeding tickets and and maybe you know more trauma for ourselves (laughs) right 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 yeah yeah we wreck a few times yeah then yeah I think that's just such a beautiful way to kind of string that together so then if we understand that it's important to do this work to understand things about our childhoods and understand things about our experiences as children and how they impacted us so that then we can learn how to better navigate life, then you've touched on your first experience. But you do work with clients on these things and you're learning through school right now more tools. And so if we can give people tactical, practical applications of doing some inner child work, like what would you say to someone who comes to you who's interested in doing something with this information? Well, first, before I answer that, I want to touch on what, just to go along with 
being in the backseat, being the kid who literally is not in the driver's seat yet. And parents and caregivers, like a lot of questions around inner child work are around like, are we blaming our parents then? Does this mean we hate our parents or our caregivers or whatever? And it totally can. Maybe your parents sucked. A lot of parents suck. And that's like a whole different story. And it doesn't necessarily mean that. Like we tend to try to protect our parents and we don't want to shine light on things that maybe they weren't able to provide us with because they're our parents and because we love them and because we know they tried their hardest. And I just want to point out with inner child work, it doesn't mean that your parents suck and that you have to hate them, but it just means that you had needs that no one could possibly meet every single need that you have as a kid. And so I just want to, and that might not be the case. Maybe again, your parents did totally suck and that is really heartbreaking. And that's like, you don't have to love them or forgive them. That's your own journey to navigate on your own. But it also doesn't have to mean that you're holding a grudge against them or that you're mad at them. It's just allowing yourself to notice that there's certain things that happened that you needed something different. So I just want to throw that out there before we get into the question. I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard so many things said that, you know, most of our adult lives are just spent trying to wrap our brains around or trying to figure out how to navigate like the relationships with our parents like the hardest relationship because these individuals, they typically love you and maybe they don't know how to love you the way that you need to be loved. And maybe they are working multiple jobs to provide food or things like that. And so they're not able to provide for you in other ways, but they're doing the best that they can with the tools and resources that they have. And they're not meeting your needs and that doesn't make them bad. It just, I think because giving people the space to say, I don't love every detail of my childhood, but I still love my parents. My parents still love me, even though they didn't just smash it out of the park. Like that's important to acknowledge for everyone to acknowledge that it's okay that it wasn't what you needed. Yeah. And as an adult now, it's our responsibility to meet our own needs. And it's also not our responsibility to protect our parents' from seeing things that they maybe missed or seeing things that affected you. And maybe they were doing the best they could and maybe it had a really dramatic impact on you. And those can both be true. And so, yeah, as you explore the things that affected you, sometimes parents have a hard time having those conversations and they have their own guilt or shame or blame that comes up in them. But again, like, we are not responsible for their the way that they heal or the way that they handle that. And also we are responsible now for meeting our own needs and not living in a place of blame and victim. And that's how we do it is through meeting our needs now, showing up for ourselves now in the ways that we needed different times of our life. Yeah. Taking agency as opposed to being a victim. And then also I think about the fact that if you're like in the parent role, like neither one of us at this time have stepped into the parenthood role, but I do have many friends, of course, and even my own parents, you know, that like anytime you speak about their parenting, even they are always like, yeah, I totally screwed that yeah. up, you know? <laughs> or they're like, wait till you're a parent. <laughs> We're not allowed to yeah. have opinions on it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay, yeah. So then let's head into the practical things. Some actionable. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I did actually with a client 
this is just a simple example. She had struggled with an eating disorder and we kind of went back in time to where she first learned how to relate to food. And it came down to her relationship with her mom, what her mom said to her around what she was allowed to eat, what she wasn't. And she didn't get to eat ice cream. Her mom wouldn't let her have any ice cream. And so she developed a really bad relationship with ice cream and would only do it in privacy. And it became a whole full-blown eating disorder. So part of her inner child work was to go get herself some ice cream and to and eat it in public and like eat it in public and just to be with that younger part of her that was told that she didn't get to have ice cream and to give her the ice cream like meeting the need of just enjoying the ice cream and not hiding it or being shameful with it so she went and did that and she just went ordered herself ice cream she ate it and and just that alone was very healing for her to to meet that need of that little girl who just wanted some ice cream, but was sold all of these beliefs around what it meant if she ate the ice cream. And so she was able to have that experience. So that's one thing if you think about the origin of your wound. That's so much of, of inner child work is going back. Like you said, like, how did you think of sixth grade Aaron? It's just parts of you that come up, like, where did I first learn to think this way to feel this way or even like what's triggering me right in this moment and what does it remind me of from my past and going back to those the origin of these wounds that's a really powerful place to start like who taught me this why did I like was it an explicit or an implicit message that I picked up on and can I go back to that time and teach a different story or give a different experience instead of the one that I was given in the origin of that wound. So that's a practical thing. Yeah, I love that. And then and then being able to identify hopefully or try to and maybe we nail it, maybe we don't, you know, but looking at what were the intentions behind the action of the other party to the wound. So that mother that said no ice cream never no like there's a realistic chance that her intention was so that her child wouldn't be obese and be bullied. And I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. So this is me building out a narrative. But I certainly would prefer to operate from the perspective of like, nobody was out to get me. Well, like the things that I experienced in my childhood, um, the ways in which my parents fell short of the things I wish they would have done. I've toyed with, well, I never played sport. Like that's like now, of course, like being an athlete, like that's something in my adult life that I'm like, wonder if I'd have been good at sports, but my parents never had any ill intention with not doing that. They were doing the best they could. They were working so hard. So I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Just thinking what was the intention behind the action of the other party? Yeah. And trying to give them grace and see their humanity as well. Totally. Yeah. And that can go along too with the forgiveness part or not holding a grudge or knowing that I can still love these people, even though their impact was not the same as their intention <laughs> and being able to separate those and have that culture of compassion and accountability all mixed in. So yeah, that's super helpful in in the forgiveness part of moving forward in the ways people have affected you. For me, that's been my favorite way is to go back to deep conditioned beliefs that are still affecting me. My dad is going to kill me for telling this story. 
but I'm going to tell it because it's a powerful one. It was such a... I'm sorry, Mr. Watson. <laughs> uh, it affected me a lot. And so my senior year, I was playing tennis. I was looking for a college that I wanted to play, going on different recruiting trips, trying to figure out like if I could get a scholarship here, if I wanted to walk on somewhere else or... And I was really distracted. It was my senior year. I had a boyfriend. I had friends. Like, I like to have fun. I also worked really hard in tennis, but I still wanted to be, like, I always said, a normal high school kid. I didn't want to get sent away to an academy. I still wanted to have fun and to go to dances and to date and to do all of those things. And so I was going through that whole recruiting process, and I had a conversation with my dad where he told me, and I could totally be butchering this, but in my experience, what I heard is, I wish I would have raised a champion. And that like just completely crushed me. I was literally from that point on until a couple years ago as I started this healing work, my only goal in life was to prove to him and to prove to everyone that I am a champion. I'm a champion. Screw you for telling me that. Like. I'm a champion. I'm going to do whatever it takes to show you that I'm a champion. And that led to a lot of disordered behaviors. And so that for me was a very traumatic moment. And in my inner child work, I had to go back to that experience and to relive that and to relate to it differently so that it, it didn't create a belief in me that I am not a champion and that my dad's disappointed in me and that I'm never going to measure up to anything. Like, these beliefs that can be so impacted by one and he gets so mad because he's like literally one sentence he's like of all the things that i've said to you that's the one thing you remember and of course like my dad he has always supported me and wanted me to be the best i can be and it's been so loving in so many ways but that really had an impact on me and so i had to have conversations with him about it and work through that with him so that just moments of deep pain moments of a creation of a belief that is affecting your behavior like those are the moments you want to go back to and you want to really connect to the origin again of where it all started and how you can change that experience now and be there to maybe tell her what she really needed to hear in that moment instead of that or to give the kids some ice cream or whatever it is so that's a really powerful way one thing I absolutely love to do with my clients and what I've loved to do for my own healing is guided inner child meditations because they just take you. You just get in a comfortable place. It guides you through it. It takes you back. It lets you use your own imagination, your own visualization, but it gives you some template to work with. So you're not just like laying there not knowing where to go or what to think so there's so yeah. many there's so many on like insight timer i have a couple really good ones that i use with my own clients but they're really powerful in the way that they guide you to these places <laughs> of wound that you might not yeah. even consciously be thinking about and they bring up a lot of okay. emotions they're pretty intense so again it's good to do yeah. with a professional or if you feel like you're in a healthy enough place in that way to relate to it with support. So yeah, that would be my next question. How can I structure my life around these moments where I'm going to try to do this inner child work? And so I'm going to do this guided meditation. So I know that I'm going to go down this road. I don't know what's going to happen there. And so how can I structure my time before and after that to hopefully give me the space to feel what I need to feel? 
one of my favorite things i mentioned this before but it's to just carry around younger pictures of you or to put them like all over your your space like in your bathroom on your screensaver in your car whatever constant reminders of like this younger version of you that's just so cute and innocent and sweet and you just don't want to talk to her the same that you talk to yourself each day and it just helps you connect more to those younger parts but also journaling or I'm a big journaler so for me journaling is very helpful in starting to get me to open up and to bring my awareness to things to get me prepared for where it might take me but even just spending time thinking about like I like to use big reactions as a good guide like where in the last week where have I felt really reactive or activated or deeply hurt by a comment that maybe really wasn't that big of a deal, but it like really felt like a big deal. Things like that that help you have a direct line to where you might need to go in your younger parts. So that can be a really powerful way is to look at the reactions that you've had. Okay. So around the time, like for me, I'm thinking about things that I would be doing or if I know that I'm going to do something hard, I'm just kind of pulling from other experiences in life. And like, so if I know that doing, spending some time reflecting back to childhood, knowing it's going to drum up some things that are going to be uncomfortable, then other things I can be doing throughout that day, giving myself space afterwards of time of not rushing myself through a bunch of other tasks immediately following, because maybe I'm going to be a little overwhelmed, maybe making sure that I've drank enough water that day. Or for me, certainly prayer and prayer to a higher power. That's one for me that is wildly helpful. So I'm not here to tell anyone how to do anything, but simply trying to relinquish all control of everything gives me a sense of peace. And so that's what that looks like often. Even something like your nutrition. I mean, just all of these things, like if I've eaten really, really poorly in advance, like I'm already going to have even worse reactions. So trying to make sure maybe did I eat some nutrient-dense foods earlier. Like I'm just trying to think of all the areas, maybe after I complete my journaling for that day, like making myself a task of like just going on like a 10-minute walk. And then if it turns into an hour, wonderful. But like to just get up and move after you're done with no expectation of intensity or anything like that, but simply movement, doing some stretching afterwards, just trying to think of like what other resources can I think of that I utilize today that would maybe be like important to implement surrounding hard work? Yeah. And those things come to mind. Yeah, that's beautiful. A beautiful point too to bring up. I think of going along with that, of course, sleep, like <laughs> making sure that you're well rested and that you're in the best place possible to receive and to connect to some intense emotions. And that can require a lot of building safety within or having safety resources that could be self-regulation resources. It could be co-regulation, like having support people you can talk to, Hey, this is what I'm doing. It's going to be really heavy and intense. And I would love to be able to talk to you about it or to have you here with me afterwards or to spend time with your pet or like you said, going on a walk or anything that you register as safe so that you can have some form of support to lean on as you open up some intense emotions. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So those are recommendations to do inner child work. I mean, what are other things that you think are like worth pointing out 
for this type of work? Like if we're going to be taking a look at these things, are there any other things that we maybe haven't touched on that you feel like are important, that were important for your experiences or when you're working with clients? These are additional things. And is there anything else surrounding it that we didn't get to? I would say just to have the three steps when opening this up, when connecting to your younger self, when doing inner child work in general, there's three steps that you want to use to be that parent for your younger self. And one is listen, two is validate, and three is teach. So when a thought comes up, when you have a harsh thought, when you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I look so shitty. I'm so embarrassed to go in public. To listen to that thought, that's coming from a younger part of you. And so how can I listen? I'm not like ignoring it or bypassing it or arguing with it, but just listening to the thought, validating where it's coming from. Like that totally makes sense that you feel like you need to look a certain way or validating the tough emotion that you're feeling because of the thought. Being there to validate yourself and then to teach like a new way. What do I want to teach this younger part of me that was told they had to look this way to be accepted? Like teaching, listen, validate, teach is the three-step process that you want to carry with you as you connect to these moments. Yeah, I can just see. There we go. That's healing. That is a healing journey experience, you know, of reflecting back to understand why we think what we think, observing it just for what it is, seeing all the factors that played into it, and then seeing how is it serving us truly? And if it is not, letting it go, forgiving it, accepting it, and then implementing better practices. Growth, baby, right there, start to finish. Those three things are so simple. So simple and not, not effective. <laughs> That's how healing is, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Never. That's why I'm reading the book Tiny Habits right now. And it's so funny because it's like you just because I'm on such a habit stacking kick of I look at all the like things that I implement today and it's cool because my quality of life is better than ever. And I look at it, I'm like, how the hell did we get here? And it was just one little habit at a time, slowly, slowly over the course of many, many years. And there's still work to be done. It's not perfect, but it is headed the right direction. And I feel like the one that's been so big this past year has certainly been just that, like truly letting go of perfection. And anytime I catch myself expecting perfection out of myself, then being like, that's not real. No one has that. If you get the opportunity to speak to that person that you look at and think that they are perfect for any length of time, you will immediately discover that they are so not perfect. So then just like, why are you doing that to yourself, yeah. crazy? Yeah, and that makes me curious, Claire, like with that perfection wound, like where do you first remember feeling or learning that you needed to be perfect in order to receive needs or to have your needs met? Like, where does that take you? Where's the origin of that? Yeah, it's a good food for thought. I think from a very young age, I always was so, all of us operate from this to some degree of this like need to be seen, need to be loved. But certainly for me, it was like the more adoration, like it was just this like, what can I do to be adored by you? And like, I'll do anything to do that. And so what can I do to get your attention? And 
the common phrase today that has a negative connotation to it that comes to my mind right this moment is like the pick me girl or like the pick me person having pick me energy. And I recognize that I totally like, I know that as a negative connotation, but like I'm probably someone who kind of like emits a bit of that at times. And so thankfully today, trying to strive for connection as opposed to attention, having thinking of things truly as like, I want a community, not an audience. I want that connection desperately. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think from a very young age, there's always been this like, what can I do to make you see me as good enough? So that you'll pay attention to me. Oh, yeah. Pay attention. And I can guarantee you are not alone in that because, like you said, our human needs are to be seen, to be heard, to be accepted, to belong, to have friendship, to have connection in all of these ways. So when those needs aren't met or when you pick up on because of someone around you, like, no, we don't accept you if you show up like that, then of course a little moldable child brain who's like, well, if I don't do that, then I'm literally going to die because you're the person keeping me safe and giving me any form of security. So it's so easy to see how we slowly move away from our true authentic self and needs because it comes at a cost. And that's what this whole inner child work is about. It's, it's okay, I was in the backseat being driven around for X amount of my life. And now like, I get to meet those needs. I get to see what needs weren't met. Was I physically safe? Did I have attention that I needed? Was I respected? Was I trusted? Like all of these things that we all desire and working towards meeting them now. Okay. So now let's head into kind of rounding this thing out. I appreciate so much your time and energy explaining to me and to everyone else what inner child work even is, looks like, why we should do it, some practical, actionable steps to doing it, and just giving space. So thank you for that. From there, I want to ask you, I've asked you this before on here, and it'll probably be a different answer today. So what is something that you feel that you are doing well in life today that you would like to do more of or do better at? Oh, man. You always hit me with these deep questions. One thing that I feel like I'm doing well and can continue to definitely improve is to continue to look at, and this goes along with what we talked about today, but to relate to and look at parts of me that in the past I have felt ashamed of or afraid of looking at, but now accepting these parts of me and having compassion for where they came from and using them to motivate me to develop new patterns and new ways of showing up so that my relationships are better, so that I feel more fulfilled and, and connected and not living from a place of trauma or shame. So that's something I've been working on, I mean, for years now, but it's something that I see progress in. I see that I'm quicker to notice my survival strategies. I see that I'm definitely not perfect at doing anything about it. Sometimes I live in it and I go with it, but I do feel like I'm becoming more and more aware and being able to change patterns that are not serving me. So that's something I am proud of myself for and want to keep 
doing better for the rest of my life. I love it. That is beautiful. And that is the work that you are doing with others because that is the work that you are doing within. And I said this before we started recording, but one of the things that I've so enjoyed about my relationship with Aaron is definitely just like being able to witness Aaron learn to love Aaron. And it's an ongoing process, but it has been so therapeutic for me to just watch it occur. And it's inspiring as hell. And so thank you for doing all of the hard work that you're doing on yourself because as a result, you are helping so many people and I'm high up on that list. So thank you. Thank you. It really does mean a lot. And learning to love myself does not like I definitely don't love every part of me. There's a lot of things I don't love, but that's what, what's cool is I've, I've started to accept that and started to have more compassion for those parts of me where I don't feel as unlovable or as shameful about. So thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no pressure with that because I do understand that it's not linear and that there are days where you show up in life and you really struggle to love on yourself. You keep working at it. And I think that that's the thing that's so beautiful and so impactful for me is that you're relentless. You're just, you're resilient. You're not going to give up. And so even if it's not perfect every day, it's something that you work really diligently at and it shows. So, okay. What are three things that you are grateful for today? First up, I'm really grateful for diversity. I grew up in Utah, so there's not a ton of diversity. And I spent a lot of time in San Francisco lately, and there's so many different types of people. And it's been so fun to relate to totally different groups of people, people that have different culture, different traditions, different upbringings, all of these things, yet we're all so similar and there's always things to connect on. So that's something I'm really grateful for. Second, I'm really grateful for (laughs) self-expression. Just like feeling privileged and safe enough to be able to express myself. I think like, I don't ever want to take that for granted. I know that's not the case for everyone. They don't get the chance to do that in a safe way. And I've just had so many beautiful experiences just being able to show up as me and that's something I don't ever want to take for granted so I'm grateful for that and then third I'm really really grateful for my job because it provides me freedom to spend time in different places and I've been able to travel a lot this year and make my own schedule it's just such a freeing experience for me and to be doing something that I love so much. So I'm really grateful for the freedom, just freedom that I'm experiencing right now, which is amazing and something I value a lot. So I'm grateful for that. Oh, I love it. They're all so good. Okay. So three things I'm grateful for today. First, I am just grateful for Austin, Texas. I've been here for, I don't know, six months or something like that. Not even that long, actually but for a handful of months now, and it has been a new beginning that I didn't know that I needed, you know, and it's just been the community here and the relationships I've already gotten to cultivate and I'm now nurturing here and just the people that are showing up that are choosing to give me the space to be human. And then also just encouraging me and believing in me and like, like 
just getting validation on that level from people I'm interacting with in real life day to day. Like it means the world to have somebody tell you like you're doing good things. Like I feel like I'm doing good things, but it like means a lot to hear somebody else say, you know, so just the gift of all of these people that exist here that have somehow gotten to be in my life at all are things I'm extremely grateful for. I'm also grateful for the fact that I got to go to this grand opening of this restaurant here and they were doing burgers. And I'm grateful for the fact that I had a relationship with food that was really not great for a long time. And that would have stressed me out and I would have not eaten and I certainly, or I would have modified it. It would have not been an enjoyable experience for me. And so for me to have gone and ordered it just like they make it and eat the whole thing and then actually eat a little bit more of someone else's and then just know like I'm perfectly fine and I enjoyed it. And so an improved relationship with food is something I am so grateful for. And then lastly, I think that I just have to be grateful for how hungry the world seems to be for education and information regarding well-being and mental health. Yesterday was World Mental Health Day. And I just love how it feels like it's continuing to be such a socially accepted term that we can talk about it and at least understand that it is a very real thing that we all need to work at. So I'm just grateful that we're all kind of becoming more aware, I guess. So those are mine. Other than that, let's hear about it. Where, Erin, can my listeners find you, support you, love on you, experience you? Where are you at? I am on Instagram at Erin Monson, and I have a website, erinmonson.com. That's where I spend most of my time. So that's where you want to connect, then that's the place. Yeah, and she offers coaching. And so if coaching by Erin is something that you are interested in, please go find her there. We'll definitely have her Instagram and website and all that in the show notes. So you are more than welcome to go there to find her. And if you want to connect with her more, I've said this before and I'll say it again, her bestie role is taken. I am occupying it. Sorry, but she can absolutely serve as a beautiful addition to your support system. Just the content that she provides alone on Instagram is invaluable. So I couldn't implore you more to make sure that you're following along. And last but not least, if you got any value out of this, I ask that you, this is my biggest ask, this is the project I am most excited about. And so if you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would follow the show wherever you are consuming it, if you would rate and review it, and share it with someone that you think that it will positively impact. And other than that, we just hope that you have a beautiful day. And that's it. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Till next time. <laughs> Till next time. <laughs>